take it away. Good morning, everyone. Today we'll be reading the scripture from James 1, 16 through 27. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he who looks at himself and goes away at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, thanks Scott and Sandy for reading for us. I really appreciate you guys. Hey, listen, uh, one thing I m missed mentioning right off the top here is uh, this past week, I don't know if you noticed around town, but uh, our grade 12 graduations happened, and uh, what an odd year to have, have a grad. All these, these kids have worked towards this for, you know, 13 years, and then it's super hard to get together. So I was super encouraged and excited to see, you know, pictures on Facebook of the parade through town. And, and uh, listen, Kirsty Sellers, uh, congratulations on graduating. What a, a huge accomplishment. We're really proud of you. If you were here, uh, we'd give you big high fives and big hugs. So uh, maybe your, your folks can do that for the rest of us, but we just want to celebrate with you this morning. Uh, check, check the comments. Everyone throw some comments in there to congratulate Kirsty for that accomplishment. That's a big deal to finish grade 12. Hey, listen, if you have a Bible with you, I'll invite you to open up to James chapter 1. That's the text we just had read, and that's where we are, and we're going to go through the last part of that chapter this morning. Uh, so this is week three in our series in the book of James so far. Uh, James, a faith that works is the title of the series. And if you've been tracking with us so far, uh, you know that the writer of this letter was the half-brother of Jesus, who at, at first didn't believe the claims that Jesus was making. But after Jesus was uh, arrested and beaten and crucified and, and died and put in a grave for three days and then showed up three days later to have a meal with his friends, James came around. And James was one of the, the top leaders in the new, this growing, exploding Christian church in Jerusalem not long after that. And so he was writing this letter to the church, to the church that had been scattered because of persecution, saying, listen, here's what, what our faith looks like. Here's what we have learned. And we know that, that James as well became one of the early Christian martyrs who was killed for his allegiance to Jesus as Lord. This letter was most likely written in the early 40s, so not very long at all after the crucifixion, and so it is probably the earliest book in the New Testament that we have. Now, just before we get to the text, there's one thing I want to look at, I want us to look at while we read this letter. It just keeps, as I'm studying, it keeps jumping out to me, uh, but really whenever we read the Bible, here's what I want us to do. I want us to watch for Jesus. 
And what I mean is this. Uh, in, in James, uh, the name of Jesus is actually only mentioned twice uh, in the opening verse and in the beginning of chapter two. However, you hear echoes of Jesus' teaching everywhere. It's maybe especially prevalent here in James as, as, as the author quotes and alludes to his half-brother's teaching, uh, but anywhere we go, we can look and see Jesus' teaching coming through the text of the New Testament. And so it seems like, like Jesus here is, uh, or James, excuse me, is actually kind of writing a bit of a commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So as we read these things, look for these echoes of Jesus. Now, if we're not sure what Jesus' teaching was about, if it's hard for us to find these echoes, we need to get into our Gospels. We need to be reading Matthew and Mark and Luke and John so that we can study the teachings of Jesus because that is the, the, the point, that is the crux, that is the linchpin of this Christianity is the teaching of Jesus and his work, his death and, and resurrection. Author and professor Jonathan Pennington puts it this way. He says, the fountainhead of all scripture is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the gospels. It's the the life and death and teaching and, and resurrection of Jesus. He says, the Old Testament points us there and the New Testament comes out of there. See, what he's saying is, again, the, the whole Old Testament points us to Jesus and the whole New Testament tells us how to live in light of what Jesus did and taught and his death and resurrection. And so again, as you're reading, maybe especially in James, take what you're reading and hold it up to the life and teachings of Jesus. Because if we, if we don't do that, then we may just start reading James or any other New Testament letter as just kind of moralism. We're looking for pieces of, of wisdom, those quotable quotes or something that might be easy to tweet to just make us feel better in the time. But we need to know that it's, it's, it's all about him. And that's really why we spent the whole first week of this series just on the first verse of the, of the book. And I would encourage you to maybe go back and listen to that because we wanted to come at this letter with the lens that James has. He says, you know, I'm James. I'm servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we don't come at it with that, if we don't come at this letter as the lens of what is Jesus teaching me? What are we trying to learn from this? Then what we come is just a letter full of commands. But what we talked about and, and what we want to do when we come to this is we recognize that Jesus has showed us that he, he came to live, he came to pay for our rebellion, our mistakes, our sin, and he came to lead us in a, a path towards abundant and, and real and fulfilling life. When we come from this lens of, of Jesus trying to teach us, it reminds us that, that God uses our circumstances to grow us and mature us like we talked about last week. He reminds us that, that God loves us and remind us that we need to fight with doubt and fight with comparison. But in spite of all of this, that God chose us. So again, when it comes to reading James, what we have in front of us in a lot of ways is, is kind of a, a mini commentary on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7. So look, look at it that way. Just before we get to James 1, uh, that was read for us earlier. Let me, let me read for us a short piece from Matthew 7. We'll see how this connects right away. This is near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching and he says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man whose house is built on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. 
I had a good friend remind me a few times in the recent weeks that those two houses that Jesus just talked about in those verses, you know, when, the, when it was good, when the weather was good, they looked the same. Uh, we, we talked to the Sermon on the Mount. We, we preached to the Sermon on the Mount not too long ago, and we said the, the ground often in that area, in that time, it got so baked that it looked strong. The sand looked strong in good conditions. But when the water hit it, that's when it started to fall apart. And so James is kind of taking this idea, and we're going to get into hearers and doers this week. He's taking this idea of these two houses, and he says, listen, when the storm hits, it's going to be evident whether or not you built on the strong foundation of Jesus' teaching or whether you're kind of half-heartedly not doing that. And so he writes to the church to, be, uh, to encourage them to be united, to, to build their lives together, to build their community together, to be the kind of people that Jesus says, listen, the world will know your mind because of how you love one another. But he's also reminding them, and they know, the people know, James knows, this isn't sunny sky season. The church is in the middle of trials and temptations. They're, they're separ separated, they're persecuted, they're oppressed, they are far from home. And so James is writing to encourage them to build their lives on that firm foundation, the rock that is Jesus. And again, the beautiful thing about this is James, as the writer, he, he knows their troubles. He knows the persecution. He is about to die for his own faith. So it's not like he's some detached academic standing in, in, a, in a good place, you know, just writing letters out saying, you guys go and do good here. But no, he is in the thick of it. He knows their struggles. He knows their temptations. He knows their battles. And he is worried about them. He's worried that the circumstances that people are coming up uh, against may just wreck their faith, may, may shake and shatter their faith. He's worried that, that the lure of the world may, may pull people away from their newfound faith in Jesus. And so these verses that we're reading today, really, they start to set the theme for the rest of the letter here. See, what James is concerned about in this church is that, that he's worried that, that they may think they're building their lives on the rock, but yet they're building on sand. They think they're building their lives on the rock, but maybe they're just building their lives on sand. So we need to ask ourselves that same question. What are we building on? So that when the trials come, when the temptations come, when the persecution, oppression, when hard times come, will that house stand or will it crumble? And so what James is going to do for the next several chapters is something actually that, that Jesus did all the time when he taught. He's going to take some particular behaviors and, and struggles and realities that, that are happening in these churches and are probably happening in ours as well. And he's actually not going to address them directly, but he's going to kind of scoot right by them and go after the heart issues that are behind the problem. See, ultimately, the problems that James is writing about here, the things that James is about to address here, it's not about the behavior, but it's about the heart behind the behavior. It's not the thing, but it's, it's the thing behind the thing. And that's what James wants to go after. And really, that's what we need to go after too in our own lives. So James is writing to see if the church actually has faith in Jesus. Let's look at what we wrote. We're going to start with a couple of verses that we wrapped up with last week. And maybe you recognize that as Steve and Sandy, or Scott and Sandy, excuse me, read for us. Starting in verse 16, he writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. This is, this is a heartfelt a loving letter to brothers and sisters that are displaced. He says this, Remember, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights where there is no variation or no shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel, that we would be uh, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is just a, a brilliant little passage. These verses remind us that, that not only uh, it's, it's not God that tempts us to sin. He is a, he is a good father. Uh, he is uh, in heaven. He never changes. He is only doing what's good. And, and everything that is good that happens in our lives come from him, comes from him. Now listen, lots of us, when we are tempted, we may believe God is the reason that we sin. Or we might blame God for tempting us. You might say things like, listen, uh, I was born that way. You know, guys are visual. We're meant to look at things like this. Everyone else is doing this thing, so why not? not everyone else is, is buying this. Everyone else is watching these movies or listening to this kind of music. So what's the big deal? Why don't I too? But listen, when we blame God for tempting us, when we blame God for our own propensity to sin, that's just actually us bailing on our faith. What is actually true is, is God is a good father who has given us everything good. And that's why we need to remember that, that verse 18 that we just read, that of his own will, God, the good father, brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel. And we can, can circle that word, word, or that phrase, word of truth in your Bible there. It's going to keep coming up a lot, four or five times in the next few verses. He brought us up by the word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often use the language of first fruits in my day-to-day -day life. So let me try and, and sort of describe and show you what James is saying here. Here's what he's saying. Listen, God in his goodness, because of his love and his grace and by the work of Jesus, is making us new. By calling us first fruits, this is an identity thing for the church. God has given the church the identity of the first fruits, the, the first evidences of this crop that's coming. What it means is that, that God has decided to redeem and reconcile everything to himself. That's, that's the story of the world. That's the story of the Bible, that God is trying to uh, redeem and reconcile everything to him. And that's the story that you and I are caught up in, whether we believe it or acknowledge it or not. And so God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, is ushering in his kingdom. He's moving towards the time when everything sad will become untrue. We read that in Revelation, right? That's, that's what's coming. So what James is saying here is that the church, the people who follow Jesus, who have been made new by God's will, have been brought forth by the word of truth, brought forth by the gospel, are the first shreds of evidence of that new kingdom. As one writer says, the church is meant to be a snapshot of where God is taking the rest of the world. That's our identity. That's who we are. Now, let me be perfectly clear. Sometimes that snapshot, it's a little blurry. Sometimes we fumble this and we represent God poorly or maybe worse than poorly even. And we, the church, the church has caused a lot of people a lot of pain over the centuries. And you know what? We need to own that. We need to repent of that, ask for forgiveness of that. We need to renounce those actions and behaviors. Because that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to reflect him well. But James, he wants to remind the church then, and he wants to remind us now of our identity. 
He's saying, listen, your job, the reason you are here, the reason you are alive, the reason Jesus came is that you would point to something so much greater. You, church, community, you are pointing to the beginning of everything being made new. See, James knows that in in order for people's character and behavior to be changed and be transformed, especially in the midst of trial and temptation and sin, we need a vision of where our lives are headed, something beyond our current circumstances. So if you call Trinity home, you've hopefully heard us use this word transformed a lot lately. We've said that our mission as a church is to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so our job as followers of Jesus is to model and point people to the abundant life that comes from following Jesus. Because if we, if we don't have that picture, if we don't have in our minds that vision for the future, if we don't have our, our hope and faith set on where God is taking us, then we will struggle. And when we struggle, we will fall and fail and we will drift away from him. James knows this. You don't start with rules. You don't start with commands and do's and don'ts. You start with the beauty of what we're being called to. I think this is another thing that that we know from our our real-life experience that maybe we don't always translate over into the spiritual realm, into our spiritual lives. Now, we're we're all different, but let me throw out a couple of uh, scenarios for us, maybe uh, that are especially true in today's visual culture. If I want to teach my kids to play piano, or any instrument, but let's say piano, I can sit them down on the bench in front of the keys, and I can start telling them all the information about white keys and black keys and sharps and flats and octaves and key signatures and timings and all the things, and then just have them go at it. But their eyes will glaze over, and I bet they'll walk away before I'm finished talking. They probably actually have, now that I think about it. But if I sit down at the piano and I start kind of noodling away and I start playing a song that they know or they can recognize and maybe even sing along to, all of a sudden they're sidled up next to me on the bench saying, Daddy, can you teach me how to do that? If I want to get better at riding a mountain bike, which I do, I can read all sorts of articles and blog posts and magazines about technique and weight transfer and speed management and all these things. Or... I can go online and I can find GoPro videos of guys just bombing through the single track. And I can watch those things and I can catch the vision to be able to ride like that and think, man, that looks amazing. That looks like so much fun. How do I get there? And then I'll pay attention to things like technique and all whatever else. See, here's the thing. You and I need to have a vision, a vision of the beauty that carries us through the trials and the struggles. We need to have that that music piece that is the target that will get us through practicing for hours and hours and scales and this and that. But if I, I I will suffer through this so that I can play that. We need to have the vision of blasting through those trails to carry us through falling over again with our feet still clipped into the pedals. We need that vision of that perfect drive on the first tee box that everybody watches and sees to carry us through tromping through the woods looking for yet another lost golf ball. But it's, it's a both-and thing. We need both rules and beauty. It's the same for our relationship with Jesus. Rules don't transform, at least not in a lasting, or I would say a healthy way. But the beauty of community, the beauty of, of the love of Jesus, that will carry us through. 
Maybe some of you who are tuned in have been just trying to follow the rules. You've been told all the rules and you've just been trying to follow them. And if I, if I follow the rules good enough, God will love me. And, and that's not Christianity. That's not the story here. Maybe you, you haven't had a, a recent encounter with the beauty of God who's saying, listen, you are my beloved son or daughter and I'm for you. I, I care for you. I love you. I want what's best for you. I would encourage you to, to ask God to show you that, to, to speak those words into your life, into your mind, to allow those words, that identity of who we are in Christ to grab your heart and to transform it. So James here, again, in these first couple of verses, I know they're a bit of review, but he's laying out the beauty of the gospel for us. God chose you. He's good. He is redeeming us by the gospel. And so then we get to go and show the world his beauty. Well, then James continues, and he really goes into the rest of this letter saying, in light of this, because of God's work, here's how you are to love. Here's how you are to respond. It's because of all that God has done. Here's that path of, to life that we talked about last week from the Psalms. So now James gets into some specifics, but he is really, remember this, and this is so important. He is only getting into these specifics after casting the vision from verses 1 to 18. Let's start reading. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Boyer, these words especially poignant these days. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. With all that's going on in our world around racial tensions and, and reconciliation, this is something that I have had to say to myself several times. Stop and listen. Hear the voices. See what you can learn out of this before you feel like you have to jump in. James says, listen, you, you don't need to think about how, or you do need to think about how much you speak compared to how much you listen. You need to think about the bombs you just go drop on social media when you should really just keep quiet. And he says, and we're going to come back to this at the end too, think about the anger that's simmering in you. Be slow to anger. He goes on and he says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's talking about the temper that just goes off. And I think some of us know that we need to realize that it's not just our preschoolers that have uh, explosions of emotion, but us as well. But he's also kind of talking about that low boil of our souls of envy and jealousy. Listen, I think we're all in this, myself included here. Many of us are, are, have, have maybe more anger in us, have, have more kind of something simmering in us than we really would like to admit. And we need to, again, we need to own that. And I think we need to go through an exercise of, of asking Jesus why that's there. Jesus, why am I so upset about this? What am I trusting in that's not you that's making me upset because I'm not having this? We need to ask him where are these, these hurts and this anger is coming from so that he can heal our hearts of that. Listen, part of the invitation of the gospel is this. God loves you. He has brought you to this moment to hear words like this from him, to save you and to transform you from that, from being a person where there is anger bubbling up inside of you. I know that he wants to transform us from our anger and our outbursts because he says as much in the next verse. Look, he says, therefore, because these things don't please God and because they are actually enslaving you. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
He's saying, like filthy clothes, take these things off. Take off your, your hurriedness to speak. Take off your, your anger that's blowing you. Get off, take it off and, and remove them from yourselves and put it away. He says, and receive or, or put on with meekness or with humility the implanted word of the gospel, which is able to save your souls. Take off that filthiness, James says, and instead uh, humble yourself. Receive the word. There's that word again for us, right? Receive the word of the gospel that is for your good and, and believe in it and submit your life to it and submit your heart to it. Give everything to it. Did you notice, I hinted that this was going to happen, but did you notice what James just did there? And it was masterful. He took a behavior, anger, and instead of saying, here are some techniques to help you with your anger, he went straight at the gospel and he said, listen, you're trusting in something else. God doesn't want you to act this way. Because of all that God has done for you, you don't have to act this way. So turn back to him. Ask him for help. Ask him for wisdom, right? That was what we read last week too. And he will save you. He will keep you from falling back into this area again and again that, because it doesn't please God. And God wants so much more for you than to have a temper and be angry. Listen, humble faith in the gospel is what pleases God. That's what he's saying here. So turn away from your sin, put on the gospel, and embrace him and obey him. Listen, some of us watching, maybe you've never done this before. You wouldn't, wouldn't call yourself a Christian or wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, but for whatever reason, you're tuned in right now. And listen, let me just say, I'm so glad you're watching. I'm so glad that you have given some time to explore this, explore what the Bible says. And I want to I thank you for that. I appreciate it. I would love to connect with you in the chat after the service. But listen, if you're just exploring and you don't want to connect, you don't want to let anyone know you're here, that is absolutely fine too. If you're going to take anything away from the message this morning, I want you to take away this. The message of Christianity, the, the, what Christianity is, is this, that left to ourselves, we cannot please God. We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. We can't get there on our own. We cannot please God on our own, and we don't please God on our own. But God, through Jesus, made a way for us to bring pleasure to him and to be accepted by him. That's what Jesus did. That's the gospel. But as we carry on, remember Jesus is writing to the church. He is writing to people who are uh, wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus and those who are, are claiming to follow Jesus. And he's wrestling with those and he says, listen, I want you to make sure that you're building uh, that humble faith that pleases God. I want you to make sure that you're building on the rock and not the sand because you're in the midst of trials and temptations. And I don't want you to miss this. So he carries on and here's where it really sounds like the Sermon on the Mount again. Look at this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. All of a sudden, James gets real here. He says, listen, some of you think you're good with God because you've heard the gospel, you've tuned into a service once or twice, and you've heard some good teaching, you acknowledge what's being said, you're maybe singing the songs with, with the leaders as well, but instead of being filled with the meekness and humility and the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, your hearts are still filled with anger and envy and jealousy. It shouldn't be like this. 
One writer says, meekly receiving the word of truth means more than just hearing it and nodding to it. It means embracing it and to actually, in faith, act upon it. That's why this series is called A Faith That Works. Our our faith in God, uh, our faith that comes from the work he has done because he has chose us, spurs us to action. So what might it look like if we are deceiving ourselves here? Fortunately, James goes straight into an illustration for us. He says, for anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is kind of an odd verse. I've read this several times over the years and thought, well, who would walk away from a mirror and forget what they look like? But remember, James is writing in the first century. He's writing in the year 40. Not in the 21st century selfie culture where there are mirrors and shiny objects all around for us to look at ourselves. Video cameras that we can tune back in and see how we look and how much we wave our arms while we talk. But back then, mirrors were uncommon. And people were, and this will blow your mind, it did mine when I read it this week, people were generally unfamiliar with what they looked like. Crazy, right? And the mirrors that they did have, they were uncommon, but the ones that were around, they weren't smooth glass like we have now, but instead they were more like a a polished metal. So that even if people did see a reflection of themselves in something, and I suppose maybe in water as well or whatever but that reflection they saw of themselves it was distorted and it was often kind of just blurry so when they saw themselves in a mirror in those days the few times in their life they may have been able to do so it actually didn't leave a lasting impression they actually couldn't kind of implant that in their minds of what they looked like They'd see themselves, but it would be a bit blurry, it'd be distorted, and then they'd leave and they, they would forget what they looked like because they weren't seeing their image often enough. They couldn't keep that image in their minds or in their hearts. And what James is saying is that, you know what, this is exactly what a lot of people in the church were doing as well. They would hear the word and they would walk away and forget it. It wouldn't get deep in them. It wouldn't get in their hearts. They wouldn't allow it to rattle through their minds. They wouldn't meditate on it day and night like the Psalms told us that we looked at last, uh, last Sunday, or last summer, excuse me. He's saying, listen, maybe you, you gather with the church on Sunday or you tune in online and you hear a message. You're encouraged to, to do better. But then you walk out the door, you turn off the video, you turn off the podcast, and you're gone. And you've forgotten what you've heard. You're not sure how you're going to apply it. You don't even give attention to how to apply it. The word he uses for forget here means more than just not remember. It's not like, oops, it just slipped out of my mind. But it also means to discard. It means to purposefully not give attention to it. How many of us do this, uh, intentionally or not? You come, you hear, you leave, you don't think about it again until next Sunday or the next time you tune in, whether that's a few Sundays apart. James is saying, listen, that, that doesn't actually please God. And if you think that that's all that God is asking of you, an hour on Sunday morning, you are deceiving yourself. But then he gives us the contrast. Look at this, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law Now, the perfect law here, this is a continuation of of the word of, of life from earlier in the passage. 
And he's talking about the gospel here. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about the, the Old Testament law, but he is talking about the, the perfected law of Jesus and what it calls us to, meaning to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, because it brings freedom. And, and the one that looks into this perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, this is a different kind of hearer, he will be blessed in his doing. Man, that sounds a lot like a beatitude, right? Remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed is the one who does this. Remember Psalm 1 who says, blessed is the person who has, has roots set by the stream. They're flourishing because they have rooted their life in what God has done for them through Jesus. And so the challenge for us, and we have to ask ourselves this question regularly, even though it can be uncomfortable, which of the two hearers am I? Am I the first one that just hears and forgets, pays no attention, purposefully uh, discards the teaching and goes away? Or am I the one that is rooted in it, who does what it says to the best of our ability and is continuing to try to do more and more what it says? Because we do not want to be deceived. As he heads towards a close in this section, Paul kind of, or sorry, James kind of circles back to where he came from a bit in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. The word religion here and religious here, it, it, it means that that person's faith. It's not a, like a task-oriented religion necessarily that he's talking about, but he's saying that person's faith is, is worthless if he thinks he's doing good, but he can't control his tongue and he deceives his heart. He comes back to behavior here, doesn't he? He started with, with anger. And he went past anger straight to the gospel. Now he's saying, listen, Here's how we apply that again to the specific behaviors. He's saying, listen, our, our words can betray us. The way we speak is important. The way we talk to our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, whoever else is important. Finally, James closes with this. He says, here's true faith. Here's what it looks like. It's religion, true faith that is pure and undefiled, that pleases God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And listen, I, I've, I've wrestled a bit with what to do with this verse. Uh, I want to be a doer, not just a hearer. There's a lot of ways that maybe we could try and describe some of the things here that maybe might unintentionally let us off the hook. So maybe it is just enough for us to say, don't just be hearers of this but be doers. Faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the word, from the world. Excuse me. He's saying, listen, the kind of faith that pleases God, the good Father, is the kind of faith that loves our neighbors as ourselves, especially the kind of faith that, that cares for the most vulnerable people in our society. Back then, that was widows and orphans, and in many cases, that is still the case today. Faith that pleases God is one that loves your neighbor as yourself and is single-minded in its devotion to God, that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Now again, this can play itself out in a million different ways. Who is it they need to love? Who are the orphans and widows? How are we keeping ourselves unstained from the world? You need to ask what that looks like for you. I would love to to pray with and for you through that. So let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning that we can gather together here, that we can be in this place, that we can hear from your word. Thank you that James, when he was writing uh, uh, by the influence of the Spirit, we wrote this letter for us, that he did not pull any punches. There are some hard words in this text, and I pray, God, that we would not just be hearers who, like a man looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like, that we would just discard what you have talked about today, what you have told us today, and go on with something else, but that we would wrestle with this. This, this can be hard stuff. Help us to be hearers and doers. Show us who the most vulnerable people that we need to love around us are. Teach us how to love our neighbors. And help us to, 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 to show people you, to be the church that we were meant to be and, and describe people who you are and what you've done, all the while keeping ourselves unstained, spotless from the ways of the world. Thank you that you, you love us, that you are with us. Maybe today is the day where God has made it clear to you that uh, he wants you. He chose you. He has done all these things for you. He loves you and he wants only what's best for you. That he is that good, good father. He wants to lead you on the path to abundant life. Maybe today is the, the day when you want to stop going your own way and stop giving up in trials and tribulations and, and blaming God for things, but instead turning to God. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you want to put your trust in him today. Maybe today is a day where you want to commit to following Jesus. Remember who Jesus is? He is the Son of God who is perfect in every way, who walked this world to show us how to rightly relate with God and with others and with creation. That's why we need to learn about what, he, what he's done and, and read the word. He was perfectly obedient to God in every way, even to the point of death on a cross where he took our sins on his back and died for them so that we can have life. And he was raised three days later, conquering our three greatest enemies in Satan, sin, and death so that we can be uh, adopted into the family of God, grafted into the family of God, and be made new again. Why did he do this? So that anyone who calls on his name would be saved and transformed. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark your life feels or maybe how far away you've walked. He is calling you back. And when you call on his name, he hears and he forgives you and he makes you new. If today is your day to commit to Jesus, I want to celebrate with you. I want you to click that little raise hand button in the chat. It'll take you to a, a little form on our page that just, uh, we just ask you to give us a, a way to connect with you because I want to celebrate with you. I want to chat with you and, and help you in this new journey. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube later, you can head to our website, trinitycanmore.com slash commit to find that same little four. We want to celebrate and connect with you. So if that's you, you can pray this prayer with me and, and let's all pray it together. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Change me and transform me. Help me to follow you. Jesus, be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit so that I can serve you, so I can follow you, so I can make you known. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Listen, today was somebody's day. We are seeing this happen more and more often on our services. I'm so excited to celebrate with you. It was someone's day to pray that for the first time. So we want to give them a hand in all our homes across the town, across the valley, where we are. Let's give them a hand and celebrate with them. We want to give God a hand for what he's up to as he continues to transform lives because he loves us so much. Thank you so much, God. You are so good.